Well, as Eric mentioned earlier, uh, we've got lots of things happening uh, as a church family. And, and one thing you'll, you'll note is that next week, many of us are going to be uh, up and away at, at the uh, all-church family retreat. Um, but for those who aren't going to be able to join us for that, just some things to keep in mind. First of all, the 9 a.m. groups are not going to be meeting. Uh, secondly, the 1030 service is going to be inside and online only, uh, not outside, because we've got some different gear needs that we're going to have and set up and other things, so we won't be capable of doing that. Uh, and lastly, the kids are going to be in service uh, with their parents here. So just, just keep that in mind, and, and, and uh, we'll remember that. And um, everything will resume on, on Sunday June 26th, the following Sunday. And so in the meantime, be, let's be in prayer for one another. The, those up at camp are going to be praying for those of us here who are gathering, and those who are here are going to be praying for those up at camp who are gathering there. Uh, and we'll look forward to regathering all together on the 26th. Uh, and then I've got, I've got another update uh, just you know, for the church family here and, and um, just to kind of keep things in mind as we flow into the summer months. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but, but of course, you know, the news has been covering this whole idea of the great resignation, right? Um, people have been quitting their jobs like crazy. And uh, this has also been impacting a lot those who serve in pastoral ministry. As a matter of fact, a recent study showed that the percentage of pastors who have considered quitting uh, the ministry within the past year or so has risen to about 42%. And, uh, and that's up about, from about 13% higher than it was the previous year, so back in 2021. And now, why do I bring this up? Am I among the 42% considering that? No, I am not. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. Um, yeah, okay, I'm glad. Some are probably like, oh, man, why not? You know, anyway, that's not me, no. Uh, but I bring this up because it's the practice of our church is to offer our full-time, past, our full-time pastors a sabbatical uh, each, uh, every seven years and in order to rest recalibrate, refresh. It's, in other words, it's a way that we, we understand and we're, the church family and the deacons have made decisions to put policies in place to make sure that our pastors are, are, are cared for on that level. And so this year marks that time for Pastor Andrew. And as you know, um, you know Andrew works really hard around here. He does a lot. He, matter of fact, he does way more than his job description shows. Um, he's wearing hats that, frankly, some of us don't even know those hats are there. He's just picking up hats and putting them on because that's the kind of guy he is. And so uh, please realize this, 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 I, this time away, this is not something that um, Andrew has asked for or sought after. Um, you know him. He's, you know, he's, he's definitely uh, one to, to put his whole effort into his work. So I actually had to remind him of this uh, this year. Okay, maybe that's a soft word. Maybe I had to encourage him. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I needed to, to say, hey, man, this is, this is that time. Because I believe it's wise and good and necessary for, for him to have this extended season away. And, and I'm sure you'd agree with me. We all want Pastor Andrew to serve here at Clayton Valley Church for a really long time, right? Can we get a yes? Absolutely. We, we desire that. And that's the reason leadership has put you know, that, this practice in, into place here at our church. So, so what does this mean? It means everything is going to resume on Sunday, June 26th, except for one thing. Andrew Sanders is not going to be leading in worship that day. Uh, and he's going to be away for about a month as he utilizes both his sabbatical leave and his regular vacation time, some of that, to refresh with his family by, by doing things that he does not normally do in the rigors of daily ministry. And while he's away, there's going to be a lot of other people stepping in to serve. And Andrew's been making up lists for all of us, right? And he's, and he's really he's like, I'm trying to leave a bomb for you. I don't want to leave that. I'm like, hey, man, you're probably, I, look, I don't know how you cover all the stuff you're going to do. Once we hit it, we'll go, oh, 
Someone's got to do this and we'll figure it out, you know, but he's put his lists out. He's got his teams lined up. Uh, there'll be many leading in, in our Elevate, uh, the youth ministry, and so others are going to be leading in musical worship while he's gone. And by the way, thank you in advance to all those who are stepping up and stepping in to, to make that happen, to, to care for our church and to care for, for Andrew and his family in this way. And uh, really, we are, as a church, very grateful for Andrew and Adrian uh, and their family and the many things that they give up to serve this church. And they do. There's a lot of things that are sacrificed that no one knows about to care for this church family. And so uh, we hope you'll have a wonderful time. We hope you'll return refreshed. And, um, and we're going to look forward to that. So, uh, but again, praise God for what he's doing. And, uh, and we'll look forward to seeing uh, them come back and be ready to roll as we continue to serve the Lord together. We're continuing in our, in our series in 1 Corinthians, and uh, there was a, a study that was done in the archives of pediatrics and adolescent medicine where children were, were shown to overwhelmingly prefer foods that were wrapped in McDonald's wrappers. So they would take the same food, same nugget, same chicken nugget. It'd be in the little box, you know, for the chicken McNuggets, right, from McDonald's. Same nugget, put in another wrapper. Every time without fail, kids preferred that which was put in the familiar wrappings of the golden arches. And it shows really how when you look at advertising, when you look at branding, it has an effect on people's minds. It really does. They don't spend all those millions of dollars to do that for nothing. And, and then when they would ask kids questions, they found out something that kids actually believed that the chicken nugget they thought from McDonald's was much better than the identical nugget. And, 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 and it shows something about who we are as people even, right? We learn from this. We learn a lot from kids. And in this case, we learn that even as adults, there are a lot of times where the wrappings and the moldings and the packaging that we put on things tends to affect our beliefs about those things, affect our values even. Sometimes they can just kind of seep in. Uh, food tastes better in a yellow wrapper, you know, and that's just that wrapper that comes from the culture. And, and in the same way, we have a tendency to put different cultural wrappers on different parts of our lives, especially when it comes to the area of demanding our personal rights. That's a big cultural wrapper for us, our personal rights. I have the right to fill in the blank. And these come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, don't they? Sometimes it's just as simple as this. You're in the kitchen, and there's that one cookie left in the little wrapper that you were just looking forward to. You know what you're saying? You're looking forward to that thing. You pop that thing open. It's gone. And what's the thought? Someone ate my cookie. How did it become your cookie exactly? I don't know. But it's your right Okay, some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Most of you are nodding, and some of you are trying to pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I see you, all right? I know what's going on. Yeah, you guys in the balcony too. I don't, don't think you're getting away with that. But we do. We have these different ways of dealing with our, our personal rights. Maybe it's in a relationship and how we're being treated by another person. You can't treat me like that. Maybe it's a, an argument you've had in the workplace. Uh, there's something going on there and it's not going right. 
and you're about to stand up for your rights. Now, are we saying all rights are bad or standing up for rights is bad or um, that, you know, as Christians, we're simply called to be doormats that are trampled down and walked? No, that's not the point. But we are finding in this particular passage that Paul has a way of dealing with his personal rights that is so different from what we see all around us in the world. Because the truth is, we are easily confused about our rights and and things going our way and the demands that come from our hearts that are in that mindset. We're easily confused, but this is nothing new. So we're the believers in the first century church at Corinth. So go ahead, if you would, and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and uh, we'll begin with verse 1. In honor of God's word, would you please stand and, and follow along as I read? Paul has just dealt with this cultural issue of food sacrifice to idols, and he's talked about how, yeah, the idol isn't anything. Food sacrificed to idols doesn't mean anything at all. You're free to eat that meat. However, if you have a brother or a sister that believes that eating that meat sacrificed to idols is wrong, for the sake of them, out of love, don't. Lay aside that right. And then Paul goes on to say, you know what? In verse 13 of the previous chapter, if food causes a brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. And you can kind of see how, as Paul's describing this sacrificing of rights, it's almost in the Corinthian church there at that moment, a, well, Paul, show us more about how this looks in your personal life. How does this show up in your life? And so Paul addresses that question as he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus the Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and doesn't use the milk of the flock? I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. God's not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake. It was written because the plowman ought to share, I'm sorry, ought to plow in the hope and the thresher ought to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. For if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endured all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand this amazing text and that in the areas of our life that we need to be confronted by you, we pray your spirit would work in that way, even now, that we would become a people who are so 
different from the world around us, that we actually live in a way that demonstrates the gospel, highlights the gospel, embodies the gospel throughout every place that you lead us, be it at work or at home or in our neighborhoods or with family and friends. May we live in such a way that you're glorified and that the gospel would resound. May we be especially aware of opportunities that we have to relinquish our own rights to make the gospel more clear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. The main principle that would come from this this section of Scripture is simply this. In Christ, we receive freedom to restrict our freedoms for the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. In Christ, we are given freedom. As a matter of fact, in Christ, we are so free, we can relinquish our freedoms for the sake of the gospel. And and there are several kind of elements of wisdom that come from Paul's argument here. And and we'll see four of those. And and it kind of unpacks this main overarching theme for us. The first is this. Paul shows us here that you can have a right and refrain from using it. That is a possibility. And uh, he kind of uses several questions here to unpack this. Now, Paul in a very ingenious way, addresses two issues at the same time with a bunch of rhetorical questions. And by rhetorical, uh, the, the point is he's not asking the question to get an answer from the audience. He's asking the question to lead their thinking towards the conclusion he's developing. That's, that's what he's doing. So he's taking questions, bringing them forward, and steering the discussion of argument along using those questions. And, and he's addressing two things here. Certainly he's addressing this issue of of back before he gave up his right to eat meat at all if in some way that would cause a brother or sister to stumble. He's not going to hinder the gospel in their life because of his own right to eat meat. Now he's going to go further and describe how his own freedom to, re, to give up those rights affect him, shows in his life in different ways. But he's also addressing an attack that was coming from some of the elites there in the church at Corinth. For some reason, they were saying to Paul or to others... Uh, that apostle Paul, he's kind of like a mini-apostle, a sub-apostle. He's not a real apostle. And you know how we know this? He doesn't take our money. And you might think, that sounds ridiculous. Well, it might sound ridiculous to us, but in that culture there in Corinth, the patron system was very much alive and well. And so the elites in Corinth were used to being able to dole out their money to different experts, to different people in different fields, and thus kind of, you know, they got the prestige of, I support this person. And then the person had a way of sustaining their living, be they a philosopher or a teacher or whoever they would be. In this case, an apostle. Uh, but Paul wouldn't take their money. And, and so... Uh, So you can kind of see this little thread. Paul decides to pick it up here. And he begins with this opening question, am I not free? That phrase sets up the whole chapter. Am I not free? In Christ, I'm free. Before the Lord, I'm free. Then he goes on. Am I not an apostle? And of course, some hearing the letter for the first time, the recipients, remember, this is being read out loud in the church at Corinth. You can just hear the grumbling, like, not really. 
kind of. They've already attacked his speaking, all right? That was early in the letter. He, yeah, that Paul, Cephas, man, he's, he's great because he's like committed. And Apollos, whoa, so eloquent. Love listening to that guy. You know, if Apollos had like, you know, the, he'd be the celebrity pastor guy, right? He'd be out there with the podcast, the TV shows, the radio broadcast, whatever. Everyone loves him. And there's Paul. Eh, he's okay. So what does Paul do? You got, you got to love it. He goes, he goes, Am I not an apostle? Then he has another question. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? That, that's, by the way, the criteria for being an apostle. A New Testament apostle is someone who saw the risen Christ. Did Paul see him? Yeah. On the road to Emmaus, he saw him. He had that account given clearly in the book of Acts. So yes, he, the answer to that is yes. But then notice the twist here of, of thinking. A beautiful, logical move. He goes... Are you not my work in the Lord? Huh. Now, you just imagine you're sitting there thinking, wait a minute, are we? So we're the church at Corinth. Are we his work in the Lord? Yeah, well, he's the guy that came and planted the church. Yeah. And then Paul brings it home in verse 2. Hey, if to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. See what he just did? Guess what? You know what the proof of my apostleship is? You! The fact that you're a church and you exist and some of you are even gathered to object to my apostleship demonstrates my apostleship. Because you wouldn't even exist as a church if it wasn't for me. That's what he's saying. God's work through him brought about the church. And so Paul is kind of tracing out this beautiful argument. I'm free in Christ. I am an apostle you are my seal. And then verse 3, he goes on to say, but to those who, ex- to my defense of those who examine me is this. And then he goes on with bringing out more questions. So it's like, this is like the master class on how to use a rhetorical question, essentially. Um, and, and you'll notice the recurring word, do we not have a right? We see the word in verse 4, in verse 5. You'll notice again, if you take a look at verse 6, it's right there. And, and, and we got to be careful, by the way, with how we hear the term right. So in, in our culture, the nanosecond I say right, for most of us, we go immediately to political rights. That's the first place we go. And, uh, and, and, and this, this word contains more meaning than that. The, the term is actually exousia. And it really has this idea of right or freedom of choice or freedom of action. Or sometimes it can actually be used in thinking in terms of the power to evaluate something. But you can see it's broader than that. It's not simply political rights. It's your freedom to do, to choose, to act. Uh, that's something I've been asking people this week as I've prepared, by the way. I kind of go to different people. Hey, if you had a right you had to give up voluntarily and it was hard, what would that be for you? Just trying to branch out. You know, what, what would be the toughest one for you? I got some great responses. One person was like, the freedom to go where I want to go. You know, that was a big deal. Uh, we've got someone in our house who, by the grace of God, is probably going to get their driver's license soon. Now, for those of you who do drive at this point in time, do you remember the first time you got in the car to go by yourself? I do. Burbank, California. Chandler Boulevard. 1980, see, I'm old people, sorry, but it was 80, I want to say 83, 84, somewhere in there. 
And, and my mom had this Buick Apollo. Yeah, Buick Apollo. Some of you are like, what on earth is that? It was, like, it was a cool car. Nothing wrong with the Buick Apollo, man. It had a 350 in it. That thing could move, okay? So I get in this thing, and I'm, I, I just put the, the thing. I started it up. In my mind, it could have been a Ferrari, man. The, the purr of the engine was just so cool. I'm like, I'm sitting there. I look. There's no one else there. And I just burned out and took off down the road. No, I didn't. My mom's right there. Mom, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. No, I just drove down the road. I did. I drove down the road. Uh, but there's that, just that sense, right, of, wow, I can go. And, and what Paul is saying here is he says, you know, am I not free? Again, launching the whole chapter, he's saying, in Christ, guess what? You are free. You're more free than you know. You're so free that you can actually give up some freedoms. That's how free you are. And so he gets a little more specific about what that looks like in his life. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? He's just referred to that in the previous chapter. You remember that? So I, I'll never eat meat again, he said, but don't, don't I have, I get the right to eat and drink. I mean, that's a basic freedom that most people enjoy. And then he goes on. Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife? Paul has just talked about how, earlier in chapter 7, how he, he has decided for a life of singleness because for him it's, it's more focused. It's actually in the Lord more rewarding for him. It's not the demanded path. It's a, it's, again, it's a free choice. Uh, he's gifted in that way and that's how he longs to serve God. And he's happier. He believes people would be happier with that gift to serve in that capacity. And so he described that. But it doesn't mean he doesn't have the right to take along a believing wife. And then notice this, the rest of verse 5. Even as the rest of the apostles, so the other apostles who served in that capacity, they were married. That's what this verse tells us. Not only that, also the brothers of the Lord. Uh, so the Lord Jesus, uh, Joseph and Mary, had other kids. Uh, they were the Lord's brothers. Uh, we've talked about this before. Could you imagine growing up with Jesus as your sibling? Yeah, that'd be rough. That'd be rough. You know what I mean? It's like every time, is he ever in trouble? No, he doesn't disobey ever. You know, uh, you, know you talk about the perfect sibling. He's like, no. Uh, but, but, and, and then as they grew up, from the gospel accounts, we would see they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. So initially, they did not believe the message. And then later, Jesus rose from the dead. And even his brothers, unbelieving, hard-hearted, they came to know him as their God, their King, their Savior. And now they were serving him. They were married. And then Paul goes on to say, and Cephas, so Peter. Peter was married. We find other references to that as well in the New Testament. So we would see that these other apostles and, and, and those who are establishing the church, they were married. And Paul's like, hey, do we not have the right to do that? The answer is sure, Absolutely. And then Paul goes on to talk about another one in verse 6. Or do only Barnabas and I not have the right to refrain from working? And so he's, he's, he's talking about all these different things in light of the ministry and in light of this fact that he's not receiving monetary support from the church at Corinth. So again, for those there who were kind of going, why don't you take my money? You're not taking my money? Well, obviously, you're not that great of an apostle because real teachers do that. And he's saying, hey, I've got the right to do that, but I'm foregoing that right. Um, and and uh, we would see like the, 
in terms of the, um, the picture he's drawing here, it's not simply that, hey, we have the right to be married. The context here is saying these other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, their wife is laboring alongside them and both supported by the ministries they're in. So these itinerant preachers that would go about establishing churches, his point is not simply that I have the right to be married, but in fact, the right would be that my wife is with me, both supported by uh, the labor, the work, the ministry itself. And, uh, and then he comes and brings an analogy so they can understand it. And he goes, of course, this right is something that I have as an apostle and he says three common sense analogies, that of the soldier, that of the vineyard worker, and that of uh, the, the shepherd. And all three labor in that way to gain monetary or, or physical support from those things. And, uh, and there's differing status, by the way. You know, a soldier was commonly paid wages and the man who planted the vineyard could often be the owner of that vineyard, while the shepherd, more often than not, he would be a slave. Yet all were fed from the occupation that they were engaged in. And so that's, that's what he's talking about. Those who tend to the flock, they enjoy the milk of the flock. The vineyard gets the fruit that comes from the vineyard. The soldier doesn't labor at, at, at his own expense. So you can kind of see these the ongoing Examples, but, but then Paul makes a turn in verse 8, and he goes, hey, but I'm not talking about things just by human judgment. Those analogies are great, he's saying. We see that in the culture around us, but that's not really my main argument, because the truth is we find the same thing in the Old Testament. And so he goes on in verse 9 and talks about the law of Moses. And notice he quotes Deuteronomy 25, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. What on earth is he talking about? Well, we don't have time this morning to do this, but if you were to go back to Deuteronomy 25, and you could see that there are several different laws laid out regarding people, regarding work, regarding labor, and how that's supposed to operate within uh, God's kingdom there in, in Israel. And so as that was unfolded, the idea of, a, of an ox threshing, you know, oxen would, would carry or, or, or tow these large agricultural tools, and they would be you know, plowing fields with them, etc. And the idea is don't muzzle the ox. Don't, don't hinder the ox's mouth from eating as he's pulling the plow. Because there would be fruit on the side. So, that, so the ox would be going through the row. If there's fruit there, the ox would just kind of, you know, go up and eat as he's, as he's plowing. The idea is if you muzzle him, what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to cause his strength to be um, hindered. You're, you're not going to get the plowing done as, as, as an efficient a way that you would otherwise. Plus, it's, it's, frankly, it's not good for the ox. Okay, there is, you would see different areas of the scriptures where God does actually care about animals. They're not on the same level as human beings, but, you know, Jesus uses that analogy of the sparrows, right? If each one falls and the Father knows about it, right? There's this element of care that we've been given as, as the trustees of God's creation. And so, as such, we're, we're called to do that. So, it's better for the ox if the ox is able to, you know, eat while he's plowing. And then he concludes verse 9 by saying, but God's not concerned about oxen, is he? Now, he's not saying that to say God doesn't care, because obviously those other passages would describe that. What he's saying is the primary focus is not the oxen. And um, you got to love, you know, Martin Luther, 16th century reformer, um, he expresses that, because believe it or not, commentators will get really caught up in, was he talking about oxen or not oxen? And Paul tells us right here what he's talking about, so I don't know why you're getting caught up in this. 
Um, but one thing Martin Luther says is uh, the passage can't be primarily about oxen because uh, oxen can't read. Okay. Huh? Good point. I, all right. That's pretty clear. But it is about the human's responsibility over God's creation in that way, certainly. But he's saying, don't muzzle them. And, and Paul's going to use that same uh, analogy and same passage in 1 Timothy when he's talking about um, the care of pastors uh, in local churches. And so in, in 1 Timothy 5, go ahead, we can, we can go there really briefly. Paul talks about this same, this same sort of setup, designed by God, and, and, and um, you know, the, the way in which there is a, a care for elders. Uh, in, in 1 Timothy 5, as elders care for the local church, the local church also cares for those who, who, who minister to them and shepherd them. So in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, it says this, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, and here's the reference, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. And uh, this connection is, is important to, to hold on to because in verse 18 there, you'd see those two passages are referenced together at the same time. And so, again, this is just talking about um, that way in which the local church is, is, uh, is to care for uh, those who pastor and shepherd and, and teach in the same way that, um, you know, the, the, those who pastor and teach and care for the church are called to labor and work hard in order to nurture them and feed them, and etc. But the connection between those verses, if you go back now to 1 Corinthians 9, we would see again, verse 11, Paul applies it to himself. If we sowed spiritual things to you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? And, and that's, again, his point is, look, spiritual things have been given, material things are to be uh, reaped from you. And if others, verse 12, have the right, do we not much more? And then we come to the crux of Paul's entire argument in this whole section. Nevertheless, we did not use this right. Again, we have the right. We didn't use it. Does not using the right mean you don't have the right? No. It means there's a decision to not exercise it at this time. Uh, and then he goes on to describe um, the, the things that come about from that. So again, um, it's possible to have a right and yet not to use that right. And there can be wisdom in that. Now, how does that happen in our lives? Well, why don't you think about it for a moment? Are there places in your life this past week where you've been like, okay, look, I have the right for fill in the blank. It's not happening and I'm demanding it now. Whatever that would be. And it doesn't mean that the thing that you're wrestling with or dealing with isn't a, a real thing or isn't something that might even be appropriate. The, the question isn't the thing itself. The question is, how are you walking and living? And, and are you able to, to take the right that you have and, and uh, while you want to not allow it to obscure the gospel and your witness to others? Does that control 
how tightly or loosely you hold to that thing. And um, I don't know, for me, I, I can see that turning up in several ways. I think I've shared this with you before, but, but sometimes uh, it might come about as simply as, you know, when I'm, when I'm done with a long day at work and I walk in the door, I just want to, I don't know, sit down and not have anybody talk to me at all. <laughs> sometimes. That's what you want, right? Some of you are nodding. Some of you are kind of like, really? You're so shallow, Chris. I know, I know, I know. But it's true. And, and by the way, I don't have like the high-maintenance family where they're all like, you know, dad, 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 dad. I don't, I don't get that. They're, I'm very blessed in that way. However, sometimes I just walk in, even the dog, I'm like, Trevor, don't even look at me. Just walk away. Just walk away. And he'll just kind of like, you know, and he doesn't know. He doesn't know. Um, but that desire is not a bad thing necessarily. But I could cling to that as a right. Now what happens? My demand hinders the evidence and display of the gospel in my home. You know, there's, there's perhaps impatience. There's a, a lack of awareness of the needs of others. Um, so I, th- I, th- I think there's, there's a sense in which for, for personal rights, all of us have different areas where we need, we need to really work hard at going, okay, Lord, show me. Show me where I'm just demanding and clinging to these things. It doesn't mean it's not a real thing or it could be even a good thing possibly. But it's become the ultimate thing. And I'm not willing to relinquish that for the gospel. In my more spiritual moments, folks, I'm actually able to do that. Um, But it's not natural or automatic. And it's not just that area. There are many others, I think, for all of us. Um, so, So a principle from this would just be that love will limit our use of liberty for the sake of others. You know, we might have freedom to do something. We might just want to do that, and, and, uh, and we don't. You know, there, there might be a way in which it turns up in even more simple things. Um, you know, there is a, we had, we had a really wonderful uh, family kind of come over and visit this week, and I got to, I wasn't able to be there, but I heard about it later. Uh, their daughters were there, and, and, uh, and we had some water balloons that we're going to play with. And, um, Janet had asked, and she asked, hey, so what color do you want? Because there was blue, there was red, there was, you know, yellow. And in a beautiful way, one young sibling, she said to her sister, which one do you want? And that really struck Janet, like, wow, like, how often do you see that? You know, at that age especially, there's just, again, she asked the question, there was a right of sorts to pick the color you want. You know, kids teach us a lot, don't they? They do. And in that moment, it's sort of a, huh, how beautiful. You know, there's a, it could be as simple as that. It might be you're at the store. And, uh, you know, you, you, you're in line. And then you always pick the line, right, that's shortest. And then there's someone behind you. They've got way more than you. And it's just simply, hey, go ahead. <laughs> you know, you have the right. It was your spot. It was your spot in line. But do you have to demand that? Do you have to, you know, can you, can you be different in that way? Um, 
there could be a lot of different applications, I think. So that would be, that would be the first way in which we would see this. The, the fact that our rights don't have to be what we cling to because we have freedom to relinquish them. We're going to move quickly through the next few. Uh, the next one would be this. The gospel and its spread are more important than our personal rights. And the real question I want to ask on this is, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? That the gospel and its spread are more important than our personal rights. And so Paul goes through and describes his um, way of he doesn't want to hinder the gospel at all. And so he did not use the right of receiving support at this place at this time. Now, by the way, there are other places he did. If you look at the book of Philippians, you find that the Philippians did, in fact, support Paul and send him money. And he thanked them for that. And he said, not that, I, not that I want the gift in Philippians chapter 4, but I, I, I love what it gives to your account. So there were different times he did and different times he didn't because he was always evaluating what is going to further the gospel more. And we need to have that same way of being attuned, in tune with that. He uses the example of priests in temple service. And he talks about how, don't you know that those who perform in the temple, they also uh, received and ate the food of the temple? So again, another example from, from the Old Testament. And... Um, and then he says in verse 14, so the Lord directed those who proclaimed the gospel to get their living from the gospel. And that, again, would be back to that 1 Timothy 5 passage that we talked about. The laborer is worth his wages. That's what Jesus said. And connected with the, the ox uh, should not be muzzled while threshing. So those two principles are what Paul's bringing forward. And that's Jesus' instruction. Um, but, but the key again here is, is not, you know, okay, so Paul decided to forego that right for this time. Why? Because of the gospel being free to go out. He didn't want to hinder it at all, and he would make whatever choice he could to, to, to make sure that that happened. And that's why in verse 15 he says, I've used none of these things. Uh, and he, he, was, I'm not right. he also wanted to kind of counter in verse 15 the idea that they would think, oh, wait a minute, he's just writing this so that we'll start supporting him more. And he's saying, I'm not writing it for that. I don't want that to be done in my case. Uh, and he goes on in verse 15 to say, it'd be better for me to die than to have, um, than to have uh, it done so in my case. Uh, and, and so there he's very passionate in the way he's saying it. And that, that would bring us to the third way in which we see this principle come out. And that's this, that when a personal right might hinder the gospel, the wise refuse its use. That's the key. If a personal right might hinder the gospel, the wise refuse its use. And so, again, here in verse 15, I here is placed in the emphatic position. And so he's saying, look it, I, I, I fiercely hold to this. And then he says, I would rather die than change it. And so the text here is really, really um, impassioned. Paul almost doesn't even finish the thought. It, it could be read this way. It'd be better for me to die than... No one's going to make this boast of mine an empty one. So he doesn't even finish the thought. He's just so impassioned about this because he's so desirous of the gospel going forward. He's deeply committed to this. And, and that brings us really to the, the final way we would see this theme unfolded here in this passage. And that is simply this. There is greater reward in a right forsaken for the gospel than a right exercised for gain. There's a greater reward in a right forsaken for the gospel than a right exercised for gain. 
And we find that in verses 17 and 18. After he's described how I've used none of these things and I'm not writing to be done for me, I'd rather die than make my boast an empty one. Um, he, he goes on to say, verse 6, 17, if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward, but against my will, I ha- but if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. You can see the gospel there three times in a row. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. What's that? That's the good news about Jesus. That's the fact that Jesus came and, 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 and gave his life for sinners like you and me. And so he's telling them either way. You know, he's actually you know, being, being very, very transparent. For if I do it voluntarily, I have rewards. So if I, there are times he's saying when I live this way with certain situations, I forsake that right. And in doing so, I, I'm you know, doing so voluntarily with, with, with openness. There are other times where I need to do this. I have a, I have a calling and, and it's, a, it's a discipline and I'm doing it. But either way, it's not about me. It's the stewardship that's been entrusted to me. And so for a time, for a purpose, in this case, Corinthians, I'm not taking any money from you, is what he's saying. Because I do not want the establishment of this church at this time to be confused with all the other teachers that come through and all the other ways that that's been uh, used. I don't want this church's beginning foundations to be wrapped up in anything about trying to support a pastor. Though that is the practice, that is what God has established as being the norm, that's what Jesus has said and established in, in, in the way he's conducted and directed things. Again, First Timothy 5 and other places. But here... I'm forsaking this. I want to spread the gospel, and so I'll let go of this right that I have in the gospel. And, uh, and this is just a, a really amazing thing. He's so free that he's able to forsake some freedoms to further the gospel. You and I need to look for ways to do this. And, and that's the question we need to leave today with is where are the areas of my life where I am demanding my personal rights? Where are the areas that I'm not willing to simply release them? Not again just to be seen as a nice person. Not simply to make things peaceful at home. That's not the goal. The goal is so that I can embody and show the gospel, the good news about Jesus. You know why that's the case? Because think about it. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what the Lord Jesus did for us. Turn to, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard the equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
That's what Jesus did. As creator of all, as ruler over all, as the one who sustains all things, he had absolute right. He could have come to this world in any way he wanted to. He could have come the first time as king, just shown up, destroyed his enemies, embraced his friends, call it a day, new heavens, new earth, done. But he didn't. This passage tells us that he laid aside his rights. Voluntarily. Doesn't mean he lost them. He didn't, he didn't lose his deity. No, he, he laid aside the exercise of certain attributes as deity for this time to live the life that you and I could never live. To die the death that because of our sin against him that we all deserve. Jesus is the one who did this. Maybe you're here today and you've never come to that place of of, of trusting in him. The call to you is you can know what it means to have your sins taken away and removed from you. As far as the east is from the west, to have them buried in the depths of the sea, never to return. Trust him. Admit you're a sinner. Confess that to him. Receive his gift of salvation. But brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you have come to that place, that's what Jesus did. He laid aside those things. He took the form of a bondservant. He was made in the likeness of men. He was found in that place of humbling himself and becoming obedient to the point of death. Not just any death, death on a cross. And I think that's why Jesus says, if anyone wants to find his life, he needs to lose it. And if you want to follow me, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Sobering. But that's how we're called to live. We're called to live that way because in Christ we receive freedom to restrict our freedoms for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would take these truths and and cause them to resonate within us. Help us to see those areas in which we can turn away from clinging to our personal rights with such tenacity that we forsake the gospel opportunities that are right there. We ask that you'd be glorified as you work this amongst us in the name of Jesus, the one who humbled himself to rescue us. Amen.